Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to this episode of 20 Minute Tims. I am your host Jamie and I'm joined by Stephen. Hello. And Melly. Hello. And on this episode we are going to be looking back at Dr. Joseph Venglos's time as manager focusing in and around the 5-1 game, Stephen. Yeah, well, as we record this, Dr. Joseph Venglos is sadly no longer with us. He passed away and we thought it was only right to look back on what was his finest moment. This is not going to be a life and times it's not going to be a full overview of his entire career we thought it would be appropriate to just look back on what we remember best about Joe Vinglos we thought that was the best way to honour him with our our wee podcast and that is focusing largely on his biggest result and that was no doubt the 5-1 trouncing of the old Rangers at Celtic Park so that's what that's what we're here to do. Melly Joseph Vinglos's time as Celtic manager was looked back Perhaps harshly by some people based on the sort of manager he was and the character he was and the things he tried to do and, and we'll explore that as the podcast podcast goes on. But I don't think there's any doubt that throughout his wholly really unsuccessful managerial stint at Celtic, there were there, there was a few wee little golden nuggets dropped in there in terms of signings, in terms of results. And I think this this Rangers game is probably the, the jewel in the crown, isn't it? Yeah, this is the the big dog of what he done. He had he sort of became a bit of a joke figure and that was mainly down to the press as soon as he came in but once Celtic sort of settled down into the season got this result we played some great football and he, he kind of turned around Henrik Larsson from just a good really good player to a great goal scorer as well so and we don't know what the signings we'll discuss he brings in as well but there's a lot of Celtic managers who last a season and they're not really thought of fondly if they don't win the league. But with this 5-1 game that Joseph Vengloss has, he'll always be remembered for that. And not just that, some of the players they brought in were absolutely sensational. Stephen, one of the things that resonated when Dr Joe passed away, as you said, a couple of days ago, was people starting to come out, guys that worked with him, people in the game that knew him. And one of the, the resonating things through everyone's account was how much of a gentleman he was. Um, Jock Brown was on the Celtic Underground podcast and he had a quote, he said, this was back in 2014, incidentally, he says, what a smashing guy Joseph Venglos is. I've said it before and I'll say it again, he's the finest man I've ever met in my life. That's quite an accolade, but he was the most decent, honourable, full of integrity, warm, friendly and supportive. And in fact, he was rumoured to have been, by all accounts, a Fergus McCann's favourite Celtic manager. Is that right? Yeah, I'm not surprised at that because a recurring theme through Dr Joe's you know, Celtic career is that 
a lot of the players, a lot of the senior players didn't really seem to get on board with a lot of his methods. Now, he was, he was a doctor of physical education. Would you believe it? A doctor mm. of PE. Yeah, a doctor <laughs> of the bleep test. But he had he had some some strange methods uh, noted in Alan Stubbs' autobiography. He, he talked about how they jogged on the spot, holding their breath and things like that. We've had Mark Burchill on this podcast previously who'd said that a few of them didn't really understand what he was trying to do. So th there was that side of things. A lot of people didn't really understand his methods, but what you will not find about Dr. Joe Vengloss is anyone saying a bad word about him as, as a person. And for someone who has spent, who did spend decades and decades in the game, he'd been a coach for 22 years before he even got to Celtic. So yeah. a guy who'd, a guy who'd been in the game for decades and decades and for no one to harbour any kind of, you know, ill will towards him or anything is massive. You know, that goes a long way in football. That's, that is extremely rare for someone to, not necessarily be, as you said, Jamie, not most, not maybe the most successful Celtic manager, but a very well-liked one. As you said, Stephen, a lot, was it 22 years in the game before he came to Celtic? Yeah. He was the, the Czech manager taking them to third in the 1980 Euros, Sporting Club de Portugal, I'll not call them Sporting Lisbon. <laughs> he was head coach there, went back to the Czechs, got them to the quarterfinals of the World Cup in 1990, went on to Aston Villa, the first foreign manager, I believe, in Britain. Fenerbahce, Slovakia. He was involved heavily in FIFA because he was such a re renowned coach. He was the head FIFA study group for World Cups. He was the president of the European Coaching Union and head of FIFA Technical Committee. All different roles in there. Rocks up to Celtic. What's the headline? Doctor Who. That is embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, it, I think the best, worst headline, there was a headline at the time Celtic signed a blank cheque. And, and it, when you look back, it's remarkable because the guy had managed in Australia... Slovakia, Czechoslovakia as it was back then, Malaysia, Portugal, long, it? It's Oman, England, I think it's in there as well, isn't it? Turkey, Oman. <laughs> it's he'd, he'd been all over the world and he'd also had obviously a stint in the English Premier League that was we'll touch on we asked the villa. He was anything but a blank check. This was a this is like sort of little Englander come to Scotland type attitude. The guy was a well-travelled, massively experienced international yeah. coach, yeah. right? And these judgments were made on him before he'd even taken a training session at Celtic on, on how, how much of a cook he was. And nobody knew the first thing about him. <laughs> the media don't learn their lessons, though, because this is one year on, hot on the heels of them having said about Vim Janssen, the second worst thing to hit Hiroshima since the bomb. That's what they'd <laughs> said about Janssen the year before. And he went on to, of course, you know, stop the 10, win the league, prove everyone wrong. So Janssen goes out, Another guy comes in and they think, well, we've not heard of this guy either, so let's absolutely ridicule him from day one. It's an incredible mindset. And I think we can all agree that the media are so much better today, so, so much more understanding. <laughs> Just looking back briefly, these appointments around this time when I was looking at Dr. Joe, you know, Celtic were seen as like pretty terrible at appoint managers. They had a pretty bad record of appoint managers until Martin O'Neill came along around this period of time. But you've got to admit, you know, they were all pretty forward-thinking yeah. Appointments really when when the when the standard was you know usually a British manager or a guy that played in Scotland Celtic had a director of football in effect when they brought in Kenny Dalglish and and Jock Brown although their titles were different Jock Brown was general mm. manager at the time and no one really knew what that was but it was a role that effectively was director of football we had Wim Janssen John Barnes in his first managerial role uh, yeah. and then we had we had Doctor Joe as well like these were really. I mean, they didn't pan out, so you can either call them forward-thinking or ill-judged, ill whatever you, <laughs> yeah. you want to call it. But It's it, creative, I mean, isn't it? It's creative. Aye, they were trying something. 
it's creative and they were trying something. The general manager is basically just a director of football, as it is nowadays. The think behind Jock Brown was he'll come in, sign the players that the manager sort of wants, do all the negotiating. The manager who's foreign, he can just pick his own staff and have a Scottish guy and be the head coach, as it was. Something that's probably Celtic re- need right now. But the problem Venglos really had was... Rangers were juiced to the gills at this point. Like, yeah. As we've seen, we've spoke about this with Martin O'Neill, Vim Janssen, and now when you when we read the Rangers team out later on, you're like, what was going on here? This is absolutely unbelievable that Celtic were able to keep up with this team and try and put in a title challenge against these guys. So you can understand why it was so difficult for Celtic back then. Joseph Engloss not given any hope against by the press, and then he comes in, Tough time for Celtic after when Janssen left. He's maybe not first choice. Then he comes in and he's absolutely slaughtered. And he's up against a well-oiled Rangers machine that is gilled, uh, juiced up, sorry. There's Rangers, but as always with these things, there is Celtic holding themselves back as well because... yeah. A, th- a theme running through this era for Celtic was that Celtic were in a bit of a mess as well. Yes, they'd won yeah. the league the previous year, but they were beset by... Behind the scenes turmoil, there was you know, bonus rows or the players had fallen out with the old Jock Brown, who was, as you said, the, jo- the general manager who was the kind of go-between between the hip, the players and Fergus McCann, who was, you know, Mr. Biscuit Tin, Mr. You know, Purse Strings and all that. Players had been made promises about bonuses and, you know, there was a lot. Craig Burley has spoken about this in the past. He was still there from the previous season, but he was kind of on the way out at this point as well. It's, it was a, a lot of... A lot of difficulty for a guy who had previously worked everywhere, but he'd never previously worked at a club quite like Celtic before. To walk into that kind of thing and to be, let's face it, ridiculed in the media is yeah. is never an easy thing to walk into. It was it was unusual to me, like the the, the reputation he had as a coach obviously preceded him at Celtic, and he must have hit some journalist radars. Um, when he was drafted in about what, eight years earlier as, as Aston Villa manager. You know, this mm. notion that, from what I'm gathering, he, he seemed to be a relative unknown. You think, well, he, he came in as a, a Aston Villa manager. He was the first foreign manager in the top flight. And sort so, of retrospect, yeah. retrospectively looking back, you know, reading some pieces about him there, he, he was kind of credited with bringing in a European... No, I wouldn't say management philosophy, but a European training philosophy using a lot of the same principles that Arsene Wenger brought to Arsenal almost a decade later. You know, things like diet, carbohydrate-based diets and stuff like that. It was one of the first managers I was reading to introduce pre-training stretching routines and mm. post-match warm-downs. And he was bringing these into the training at Aston Villa and the players were like, "What? what is this? You never know, and there was com- never you know, catch on. Yeah, no. it'll never catch on. But looking back now, it's like standard stuff. You know, players were commenting about how you know match day meal used to be wrote, um, steak and chips, and he got rid of that. Oh, yeah. And immediately the yeah. players didn't, and the players didn't like it because all pasta, steamed fish, vegetables, all this stuff you're hearing nowadays to go. Well, obviously, <laughs> obviously, yes. it's another very difficult place to be, though, isn't it? As the first. Trying to, yeah. trying to start a revolution in English football. Now, the English football as it is today is unrecognisable from what it was in the 90s. This was the first explosion of you know, the TV deals and Sky and all that. But he comes in very much in the... Well, as you as demonstrated, he's the first non-British or Irish manager in the top flight, which is incredible. And he's trying to introduce these things when really it's a bit of a... You know, without wishing to sound disrespectful, bevy culture in English football as well. It's going to take more than one guy to do that. So it's a very difficult place to be walking into again. And, and they were really, really against this sort of foreign invasion 
you know, from the top of the game down. It wasn't just like this um, this this perceived thing. They were quite vocal about it. The nature of the landscape in England when he was manager, there was, as you said, Stephen, no other foreign coaches in the top flight. But Gordon Taylor, who was the chief executive of the PFA at the time, said, look, I'm not trying to build an iron curtain around England. But the fact of the matter is that a lot of these players are only being brought to the country because they're paid less and they're cheap. That was the attitude right. towards even foreign players coming into the English mm, Premier League. Right. Obviously, England were banned from competing in Europe at the time. So just to paint a picture of the sort of environment that he was walking into, it wasn't one where you, you could say the same about Britain today, but it, you know, it wasn't necessarily outward looking, ready to accept new and exciting <laughs> no, ideas, no. Melly. <laughs> no, it's not. And it's something that it probably was later on to Arsene Wenger done it. Maybe the difference is with Arsene Wenger is the players got on board and he was a he was successful in it going to Aston Villa. I think they were struggling at the time and they struggled it with jo- Dr. Joe. So if it had worked out for him, maybe the players would have bought into it a bit more. But I think it just it took more time for it to get around. Again, coming into coming into the Aston Villa team, similar, it's almost like you had to re re-establish himself twice kind of thing because as he came into the Aston Villa side the perception was again who is this guy nobody knows who he is he was actually presented as I was reading about it the, Kevin Keegan was appointed Southampton manager around the same sort of time and the Aston Villa chairman really liked the idea that nobody knew who the next Southampton manager was going to be until Kevin Keegan walked through the door at the press conference and everyone's like oh my god it's Kevin Keegan Southampton manager what are you doing here what are you doing here Kevin Keegan and he wanted to do the same thing with Dr Joe so he, he didn't right. tell anyone. No one knew who the next Aston Villa manager was. The press were assembled at Villa Park um, for the press conference and through the door walks Dr. Joe and everyone's like, ah, who's that? <laughs> like that? It was So immediately again, he's on the back foot. Just just a thing, Melly. You know, he made his name as a coach working um, under Vaclav Jezek as the Czechoslovakia side that won the European Championships, as you said, in 1976 when they beat West Germany, as it was at the time. Courtesy of a dinked penalty by one Antonin Panenka. So Dr. Joe was on the sidelines when the Panenka was first conceived of uh, and scored. That's that's an interesting historical tidbit. So fresh off the plane from managing the Oman international side, as far as I can (laughs) get now, I I don't know much about the Arab world. I think Oman's in the Arab world. But what I do know is that they sort of, they've become relatively wealthy in the last 10 to 15 to 20 years. I don't know how Omanian football was back then, but I suspect it's probably more of a backwater than it is now. So I just want <laughs> yeah. you to wonder, you know, as we record this, that it looks as though Celtic might be looking for a new manager in the summer. Imagine we appointed the the, the ex-manager <laughs> of the Oman side to come and be oh, Celtic manager. I, that is, it's incredible, isn't it? Because, I mean, even Wim Janssen, right? Wim Janssen had won the European Cup as a player against Celtic. So it, there was at least that. It wasn't the greatest of, of names when it came to management. It wasn't, it wasn't like a huge appointment, but at least he was a something or other in football. But to appoint a guy straight off the O-man job, having been, as, as we listed previously, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, Australia, he'd been managing in these countries in like the 60s as well. Yeah. So unfathomable in this day and age. Imagine Celtic pulled that off. I doubt very much we'd be sitting here going, you know what's really creative? I don't think we'd be giving them <laughs> yes. that allowance. Well, Dr. Joe was appointed on the 17th of July. It was very late to be appointing a manager, considering there was a World Cup on that year. Celtic and uh, Barcelona had a lot of players away. I think they both had the joint most away. So Celtic were going into this on the back foot with Champions League qualifiers for the first time ever. And we were really struggling. Now, Dr. Joe 
wasn't first choice. I don't think he was second choice either. So by the time he got on in the 17th of July, he was really up against it. So much so that Celtic were playing a qualifier and he was allowed to be in charge of that, but he wasn't allowed to be in charge of the first league game of the season because he had to go back home to Slovakia and sort out some work permit issues. So he wasn't even in in time <laughs> for the first game of the season, which is crazy, which led to Celtic having a really slow start in the league. We were... We had the unfurling of the flag on the first game of the season. We beat them firm on 5-0, but as Fergus McCann unveiled the flag, he was booed because the fallout from the Wim Janssen thing and the fact that Celtic had got this guy in that people didn't know and, of course, they hadn't signed any players so far. So Celtic were really up against it in the league and it showed in the league start and the qualifiers to the Champions League. Uh, incidentally, Egil Olsen was rumoured to be Celtic's first choice as manager. I think he was manager of Norway, yeah, Norway at the time, but turned down the role, apparently, rumoured, or, or so he claimed, because his dog would have to spend three months in quarantine, <laughs> which 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 shows yeah. you how much he wanted the Celtic job if he couldn't be without <laughs> his pup for three months. Um, One of the other guys linked with it was Bobby Robson and, of course, Gerard Hooley as well. So there's Celtic were going for a decent calibre of manager. It'd have been great to see Bobby Robson at Celtic, wouldn't it? Well, Bobby Robson had previously been at Barcelona just a couple of seasons yeah. before. He'd been the guy who brought Ronaldo to the new camp and all that sort we were talking huge, huge name, and then you know, obviously we we didn't get Bobby. I can't remember. Obviously, I can't remember the press at the time. But again, it would have been a PR disaster if Celtic are rumouring like leaking names to the press, like Hulie and Bobby Robson, and these guys are being leaked, and then up pops poor Doctor Joe. I mean, you just can't live up to that from a PR perspective either. And we never see that this day and age. We never see anything like that in the press <laughs> at all. We, we never, for example, get linked with Benitez and Mourinho and then don't sign those guys. That, that, that never happens. Totally different world back then. 20 years on, we're not making the same mistakes. We're <laughs> no, not making no, the same no. mistakes 20 years on. Celtic got off to a real tough start to the season with all that was going on with the World Cup, the manager coming in late. We went out the League Cup in the first round to Airdrie, a really poor result. We only won three of our opening 10 league games, something we can get on board with now. And we went out the Champions League qualifiers to Croatia Zagreb and then went dropped into UEFA Cup and went out of that to Zurich of Switzerland. Now, in true Celtic fashion, after you go out all this and after your miles behind in the league, what do we do? We go out and sign some good players. <laughs> Previous to the, the transfer window being a thing, of course, so you know, yeah. transfer windows yeah. were open all the time. So that when better to go out and get the checkbook out when everything's over? Basically, you're out of every competition <laughs> by September. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's bring some players you know in. What? You know what, Stephen? The more we discuss this, the more we're looking back here, maybe things haven't changed quite so much as we <laughs> the would more maybe things like change, to think that The they more have. they stay the same, of course. Yeah, that's how it always works. Uh, history repeats itself all the time. Yeah, and some of those some of those signings are absolutely, you know, some of them are legendary, some of them are a bit iffy. We, we did bring in uh, Scott Marshall on loan from Southampton and Vida Reset too that we can we can sort of brush over a wee bit. Um, Johan Mialbi was brought in by Dr. Joe. It's This is one that consistently skips over my mind. I just associate him so strongly with with Martin O'Neill and O'Neill yeah, that year in that era, remembering that he was brought in by Doctor Joe, just skips over it. We also brought in Mark Viduka, Marco Viduka, as he was back then. Um, who who again? This is just another. Imagine it now. He signed for those of you who don't know. Mark Viduka signed Stephen, didn't he? And then immediately went AWOL from Celtic. 
Yeah, yeah, it cited some um, stress and just went, basically went AWOL, as you say, it disappeared and wasn't seen again for a number of weeks and months. And you know, back then, it was seen as like this massive crime, really. <laughs> like you can't be, be a footballer and and start talking about things like stress and depression and all that because, you know, it's the bog standard thing. Hey, what have you got to be stressed about? You kick a ball for a living, you're a millionaire, etc., etc. Mm. That's the kind of thing you get back then. I think if it happened today, we'd be a wee bit more understanding. Wouldn't you like it so much, but we we'd do a wee bit more we'd be a bit more understanding as a society to things like that. But it didn't really exactly set him off on the best of best of footings with, with Celtic fans. All he really could do was turn up eventually and bang the goals in, which is in fairness to him exactly what he started what doing. He when he yeah, oh, tremendous player, yeah. He's one of the most talented strikers that Celtic have had in the modern era. He's an absolutely tremendous player. Notoriously a bit of a dick, of course, right? Oh, not yes. not the most likable of guys, but an absolutely great player, which was proven out in his you know post Celtic career as well with Leeds and Newcastle and and so on. Middlesbrough, I think it was as well. Absolutely brilliant player, but it's a discussion we've had before where it's the, the kind of Viduka versus Sutton thing. Who would have been the better partnership, Viduka or Viduka and Larson or Sutton and Larson? But I just don't think as good as Viduka and Larson were together. I just don't think he was ever going to be the perfect foil for Larson no. that Sutton was, even if there's an argument to be made for Viduka being the all-round better player. I think Sutton was you know, superior as the partner. Now we can say that Dr Joe has got an eye for a player and maybe he does because Celtic were put out by Croatia Zagreb in the qualifiers and playing for them that day was a certain Mr Marco Viduka. So it doesn't happen a lot these days, but mm-hmm. he made an impact there and we went and got him. But... Just imagine that nowadays. We get put out the Champions League by a Zagreb team that had Mark Viduka and Robert Prozanetsky in it and we're so bloody ruddy annoyed that we just go and buy their striker for three million quid and say, <laughs> we'll have him. We'll take him after you. Thank you very much. Unthinkable. Now, just to give the listeners a, a wee idea of how poorly Celtic were doing in the transfer market, usually if we go out the Champions League, we see a couple of signings come in towards the end of August when the deadline... Now, Dr. Joe brought in Vida Recef. I think he signed in September, October time. It wasn't until November Celtic made their second signing and it wasn't until the 7th of November that he made his debut. And that man's name is Lubomir Moravchik. When you, you joined Celtic relatively late in your career, that was a, a source of some frustration for the press in this country who sort of maligned Celtic for signing you. But... You know, you must have known how good a player you were and what you could bring to the Scottish game at that time. Listen, uh, so, sometimes uh, it's it's um, you don't expect what what will happen. You know, especially in my case. You know, I I, I was thirty three. I was very close to finish my career because I was unhappy in in uh, Germany. Mm. But, but you know, you you in in life you have to have also. Little bit chance, little be uh, good good luck, because uh, Mr. Bengloch was in Celtic. He was looking for uh, a playmaker like me, player who is able to to manage manage the game, uh, bring uh, the quality, creative quality. You know, you know that um, was was. Um, I, I don't I don't know explain English, but it's you know I was the. Good, good time on the good place. You know, yeah. I came to Celtic because I was really end of the career, and now I had the opportunity to continue to play. And you know, I took that from the uh, side of pleasure. 
in my career, you know. And I had this opportunity, and I did the. the I tried to do the best possible. And Mr. Bangalore uh, trust me, and I, I was, uh, you know, if you have coach who bring you to the in the club and and uh, trust you, you have the freedom, you know. You okay? okay I, I was little be by by the press, little be a no player, a non player, you know. Who, Arrived in in uh, Celtic, it's maybe I I didn't have a big uh, publicity uh, mm. for you know yeah. because uh, you know nobody uh, in in uh, Great Britain the French league been not really competition that people been uh, watching in the TV for that maybe many many things uh, been against me but but most important. Who was with me was coach and self sense, you know, that it was important. Lubo Moravchik is someone who was well known to the manager, to Venglos Bino, because he had worked with that that Czechoslovakian and Slovakian side of the, the 80s and, well, 70s actually, 70s, 80s and 90s. And that's that's where he knew of Lubo's talent from. Shame none of the media here did as well because, you know. <laughs> Google didn't Lubo, exist back then. No, no, I didn't. Uh, the the, uh, the reception for Lubo Moravchik was no different to that of his of his, his pal in the dugout either. There was you know more widespread ridicule and you know, comparisons to like, you know, Ludwig. Everyone knows by now that the, the Hugh Keevans is most famous. Could you think of anything stupider? Could you think, no, honestly no. think about it? See, a, a player arriving, right, at a club that you know nothing about, right? You, you can't possibly know anything about him. There's no YouTube, there's no Y Scout, there's no... You, there's, you, unless you've seen this guy in the flesh, you know nothing about him, Right. And then just to say, ah, he's a dud, straight off the bat, without knowing a single thing about him, is mental. <laughs> I can't it's, get it's it through crazy. my head. I can't get it in my head because I'm the opposite. I think, well, if, I'd, if I've never seen this guy play, I'm going to assume he's going to be good because there must be something that's led him to this point. There must be <laughs> some sort of talent that's led him to this point. And I work backwards from there. I don't just assume players are terrible, which is exactly what the Scottish media and famously Hugh Keevans did when he, he said that, it was laughable that they hadn't managed to sign John Spencer, who was it was a decent striker. He'd been at what was it Chelsea and Motherwell and Rangers a wee bit. Maybe mm. John Spencer, a decent striker. He did all okay for Scotland, but he was kind of the hot name at the time. And they didn't opt for Spencer. They went for Liverpool and Chicken and were howled, howled, howls of derision in the media for it, of course. And you know. I'm sure, needless to say, Lubo had the last laugh. I'm sure we can agree. <laughs> he certainly had the last laugh, Stephen. And on the 21st of November, 1998, he was laughing his ass off um, <laughs> yeah. at the performance that he put in. And I'm sure Vengloss was as well. For anyone who doesn't know, I'm obviously talking about Celtic 5, Rangers 1. Yeah, of course, that's the reason we're here. We're going to focus on this game as we teed up in the intro of this. It's the, very much the biggest moment for, for Vengloss' team at Celtic. November 21st, 1998. In the charts that day, where I don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith, which was oh, the theme okay. tune to the truly dreadful Armageddon film from oh, the time. <laughs> uh, Armageddon is so funny because, sorry to derail us, but this always happens when we talk about films and music on this. Uh, Armageddon, where... The, the premise of the movie is it's easier to train oil drillers to be astronauts than it is to train astronauts to operate a drill. <laughs> the premise of yes. that is you can take a guy that works on an oil rig and turn him into an astronaut quicker than you can show an astronaut how to work a drill. Yeah, a, a ragtag bunch of absolute cowboys as well, cowboy drillers, <laughs> instead of taking the, like the 
the finest minds and scientific minds and just train them how to use a big drill. You're, you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. Tragedy right, okay. by Steps was also in the charts. Ooh. Gangster Trippin' by Fat Boy Slim. Can't believe that's oh. as old as it is. God, Sex on the Beach by Teaspoon. <laughs> and <laughs> number one on the day itself was Believe by Cher, the oh, auto-tuned classic by Cher. The game is played on the day of the release of Nintendo's The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Oh, Absolute classic God, the, game. The hours that I spent on that game. <laughs> Jesus God. I know. That's, do you know what? I actually read the review. I re, there was a review of the soundtrack of that game in a, a popular music website. Incredibly enough, the, the soundtracks of 90s games. That game was pretty sensational, honestly. I'd probably yeah. be a doctor today. If I hadn't spent so many hours, <laughs> if I'd spent the hours I put into Zelda Ocarina of Time studying things, apart from Zelda and, and Goldeneye, I might be a doctor and I wouldn't need to do this podcast. <laughs> it would be a loss to us all. I'm, I'm sure we can all agree. That <laughs> and the medical. It's a loss to the medical profession at the moment, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. But, but, but it's our gain. <laughs> it was a long time ago, but do you two specifically have any personal memories of this game? I remember it was, it was the last Celtic Rangers league game that was played at Saturday at three o'clock. Hmm. Rangers had a beam back to Ibrox, but I, I don't think the game was on the telly. I'm sure I sat and watched watched it on teletext and had the radio on, so I was seeing these goals flash up in teletext. That's my memory of it. But when the when I was looking it up, they were saying that Rangers had a beam back to thirty thousand people at Ibrox showing the game, and they say in the commentary well, that there'll be millions watching all over the world. But I don't think it was on. Well, you're, I think you're right because my memories of it are that I was offered a ticket for it and I turned it down because oh. I was playing that day. I was playing for some, whatever it would have been, under 16 or something at the time, playing for some uh, some team and I came off the pitch to find out that they beat, beat them five. Or I can't remember if the game's exactly married up, but I remember like being in the change room afterwards and finding out all these goals were flying in. I was like, I'm never doing this again. And that was much like Jamie's medical career. That was my top-level football <laughs> career, pretty much dead in the water that day as well. All what could have been back again. I don't need to do that. I'm a, a world-class podcaster now. No need to worry about what what might have been there. But yeah, that that was that was my memory of the game. Didn't see it at the time. Didn't see it because I was playing football. So it was only later that I was able to get catch up on all the wonderful goals. Going into this game, Celtic were were really poor. They were been patchy all season. As I said, Maravchik made his debut on the seventh of November. We beat Dundee six one. But the week before this, we went away to McDermott Park and lost 2-1. So Celtic were going into this, I think it might have been 16 points behind in the league. In November, it's a real stretch to see, see Celtic still winning the league, but something had to give. Well, you say they'd, they'd lost to St Johnston just a couple of weeks before. Rangers had taken seven off that same St Johnston team. Mm. They beat them 7-0. So you know, confidence probably would not have been high going into this game. Of the previous 14 games of this league season Celtic had only won five which is incredible to think that's the reason we're talking about this (laughs) exactly yeah the reason we're talking about this is obviously to tee up some kind of feeling that would have been going into this game going up against these you know tired of talking about it now but these absolute juggernauts that were Rangers back then the juiced up juiced to the gill juggernauts never an easy game against them or so we thought and and, and here the, here's that Rangers. We do this every time we play Rangers, or we do one of these games when we've come up against Rangers. Anthony Emi, Sergio Perini, who they signed from was it Juventus? They signed yep. him from yeah, Champions League winner, Champions League, Champions League winner, 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 Champions League winner
I don't like, but in this game played an absolute belter of a ball up to Rod Wallace at one point, and I was like, you mm. dick. Um, <laughs> Andre Kinchelskis, ex-Manchester oh, United, Andre Kinchelskis, five and a half million. Five and a half million. Giovanni Van Bronckhorst signed from, was that Ajax? Feyenoord? Yeah, Feyenoord. There we go. He was about, what, four odd million quid. Georges Alberts, uh, Stefan Givash. World Cup winner. World Cup winner, Stefan Givash. World Cup winner that year, by the way. He, he had won with France in France 98, and this was November 1998. So, well, a fresh World Cup winner being signed by Rangers, Rodney, yeah. Yeah. Rodney Wallace, as he's called on the team sheet here, or otherwise known as Rod Wallace. Scott Wilson. Absolutely no memory of who Scott Wilson was, <laughs> but he had a, he ended up having a career at the family. And Colin Hendry. So that was the Rangers team of the day. The substitutes were Golden Jury, Ian Ferguson, Barry Nicholson, Tony Vidmar, and... Mark Brown. Yeah, so, of course, yeah. yeah. Celtic, Celtic stopper. Ex-Celtic stopper Mark Brown and just another one of the Huns that Gordon Strachan saw fit to bring to our club for some reason. Rangers are missing a couple of players here. They've got their captain, Lorenzo Amoruso. He's injured and of course, the highest played player in Britain at the time, Stefan Kloss, is missing between the sticks. So there's plenty of talent in that team. Rod Wallace, at this point, had scored 13 goals by November as well. Goal a cracking new striker, right? A cracking striker, Rod Wallace. Often kind of forgotten about because of the bigger names that were often in that team, as we've, as we've just teed up. is full of Champions League winners and World Cup winners. Stefan Givas was is a notorious Rangers flop, but he had won the World Cup with France, despite the fact he hadn't scored any goals for France um, in the, the competition. He was one of these guys that I think Rangers just went out and signed because they could without doing any due diligence into it yeah. whatsoever because he was he was not a goal scorer. He'd never scored goals at any point in his career, but uh, Rangers went out and, and paid money for him purely off the back of probably a couple of games in the World Cup, maybe just on the back of some reputation for him. So, it, it definitely yeah, was because he was... He'd, he'd, he'd signed him from Newcastle but he'd barely played at Newcastle he was just like he was like a, a mantelpiece object I think Rangers wanted right. for their team it was like a vanity <laughs> project I think he played oh, yeah. four or five times less than a dozen times for Newcastle and I, was he not seen as like a flop at Newcastle yeah. pretty much yeah, he was yeah, seen as yeah. a flop at Newcastle and then Rangers bought him as some sort of hood ornament to, to stick in their team <laughs> the jewel of the crown World Cup winner um, the Celtic team however were full of names that we will all we will all recognise um, an interesting bit of trivia is I, I've Tony Warner between the sticks here mm. it, more or less Tony Warner's claim to fame in a Celtic shot this, it was featured in this game the Liverpool goalkeeper of course he was on loan at Celtic do you know what his nickname was at Liverpool? Warney because they're always <laughs> yes, really it, super creative like, was it Warney? was it Tone? Yeah, Tone big T it was actually bonus because he appeared on the bench 120 times for Liverpool without making a single appearance that oh. took all the squad win bonuses in as well so they, they called him bonus <laughs> he, he was already known to Celtic of course because he'd been on the bench when Liverpool had played at Celtic Park the previous year 1997 in the UEFA Cup as well so it was, it was it was not his first visit to Celtic Park anyway ahead of him Celtic stalwart Tom Boyd Stefan Mahe, Alan Stubbs, who we've discussed this podcast, Henrik Larsson, of course, Phil O'Donnell, Simon Donnelly, Paul Lambert, Lubomir Maravchik, Vida Reset, and Johan Mialbe. I mean, that is, Rangers have got a very, very strong team there. And, you know, t taking yourself back to the time, it was a really difficult task coming up against that Rangers team. But now looking oh, yeah. back at that Celtic team, like there's some really, really strong players in there, Melly, isn't there? Yeah, there is. There's, we're obviously missing Jonathan Gould between the sticks, Mark Reaper's injured, Craig Bully's injured, so Celtic have got injuries as well. And of course, we always talk about it, can we throw them in? But this was Johan Mialbe had signed days before this. It yeah. was him making his debut in this game. So 
I always say, just throw them in because I always think back, this is my, one of my first memories of somebody making their debut in an old firm game, but it's quite nice being able to say old firm game, by the way. So Johan Mialbe just thrown in there. I think like the one of the headlines or something like that was the Iceman come off after this or just before it because he, he had an interview in the paper and he said he was looking forward to it. It didn't phase him just going into this big match. But Celtic, yep, they had a decent enough squad, a few injuries, but not a squad you'd think that would go out and absolutely trounce this Rangers team at all. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Those were the bodies. Those were the men that were going to take part in this encounter. Um, Celtic coming up against this massively expensive, assembled Rangers side. We've all, Miley's already covered it, dear listener, how the league was going, how the signings were going. It, this was by far and away a, a game that everyone expected Rangers to win. But from very from very early on, Stephen... You kind of got the impression that really wasn't going to be the way this afternoon was going to go. In the words no. of Marlo Stanfield from The Wire, you want it to be one way, but it's that other way. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes, yeah, they're absolutely right. Uh, early pressure from Celtic set the tone straight away. There was early pressure that culminated in a free kick from Stubbs, of all people, who absolutely scudded it off the wall. Enjoyable performance from Alan Stubbs in this game, oh, yeah. has to be said. Very, very enjoyable because he has a, a titanic tussle with Stefan Givars. He's booked quite early on for a, a challenge on Stefan Givars, but actually watching it back, it seems actually quite Gee-harsh. Oh, dear. <laughs> totally worth it. Totally worth it. <laughs> we put it in my notes and everything. <laughs> but yeah, that, yeah, from the resultant free kick, Warner made quite a smart save. But 
it was it was chaos. It was one of those kind of old fashioned old firm games right from the right from the kickoff. You don't get them like that anymore. As you were saying, Stephen Stubbs was very much involved. It was a give us your strike partner Rod Wallace who got into the box. Bit of a penalty shout after a challenge on Stubbs. Looked a wee bit guilty, Alan Stubbs, but was mm. doing that get up <laughs> as if Wallace had dived. But from the resulting bit of play, he plays it out the out wide to O'Donnell down the left. Donnelly makes a good run off the ball. O'Donnell plays him in. He plays it across the box. And there he is, Henrik Larson. What does he do? Steps over it for his strike partner, oh. Lubo Moravchik, to sweep it home from outside the box. An absolutely brilliant goal. Everybody's seen it. Everybody loves it. And Lubo just stands there like, oh, he's worried about it. Coolly played out by Stubbs to O'Donnell. It's a good one by Simon Donnelly. In for Henrik Larson. And Moravchik! His first goal for Celtic! 12 minutes gone! And Joshua Fengloss, his fellow Slovakian, leads the applause. A superb finish. And Celtic's decision to push Lovacic up front pays dividends. The key to this game as well is having people, you know, that might not know something young listeners understand. Lubo and Moravchik will arrive two weeks before the game, more, yep. or, more or less. Mm. And Mark Burchell was relegated to the bench in order to play Lubo up front, and which was questioned at the time as well. Oh yeah, you know, people, yeah. That, that was a that was a you know although Lubo emerged the star of this match, it was a controversial and much derided decision by Joseph Venglos to drop drop Mark Burchell and play Lubo up front. Yeah, the latest in a a, a string of uh, ridiculous shouts. I, th- I suppose. Do you know what I'm I'm trying to be kind of understanding about that because you, you know, the internet wasn't as big as it was today as I suppose what I'm trying to say but I'm trying to picture it if it was in 2021 currency so in, in real money today if we were to do that today so for example we've got a really promising young player and we signed a 33 year old and started playing him ahead of him I suppose we would be a wee bit kind of oh I'm not so sure well, about this you, you, so you say right but after the game when he, he was asked about this decision and asked about Lubomir Moravchik he, he, sh- he, sh- he, he clamped them he absolutely clamped <laughs> the press he just very calmly says this is a direct quote do you think I don't know about Lubo's qualities? After 73 international caps and his games in World Cups and European Championships under me, he's a very good player with lots of skill and awareness. He's like, <laughs> well, you don't know about this guy. I've managed him. He's got 73 international... You know, if we signed that 33-year-old Stephen with 73 international caps and played him ahead of a, a young Celtic striker, I'd like to think today we'd be like, okay, this guy must have something. But you're right. It's, yeah. <laughs> the, the difficulty back then, I suppose, was the press swayed opinion a lot more because there was no oh, alternative yeah. there was no yeah. social media so if the press wrote this guy's a dud even in the minds of Celtic play fans a lot of the time in the general football and watching public you're like oh well if the press sees a dud he must be a dud there were no podcasts back then giving you the real scoop no. the, the, no. the real information unfortunately but the goal itself it's an iconic one Every, as, as Melly said everyone must be at least on nod in terms of this goal it's a very famous goal but not an easy no. one to take from that angle having it played maybe slightly behind him taking it on his left foot and angling it away from himself so it would probably be more more natural to hit it back the way it's the way it's come so down to Niemi's right but it doesn't it goes to the opposite corner so a very difficult finish from there but the keeper gets absolutely nowhere near it now back in these days as we all know Celtic didn't take too kindly to referees and fans thought the referees were all against us and the man in black today was Willie Young a man well known to Celtic fans now and then because he was a Rangers fan. 
But in the 21st minute, a wild, wild challenge from Scott Wilson. He's a young guy in the Rangers team. Now, Lubom Ravchik picks up the ball inside Celtic's half where he's back to the Rangers goal, miles away from any sort of danger. And Scott Wilson flies through him from the back, a sort of scissor <laughs> motion. Now, in today's terms, it's a wild one. It's a red card. But see, back back then... It's not a it's not a definite red card, but Willie Willie Young for some reason dishes out the red card and he's off after twenty one minutes. Rightly so, but just as yeah. the the games we've watched from the previous old firm and the the new year one, some of the challenges in that would make your eyes water. And this was pretty similar, but there was barely even a card dished out. But Willie Young, red card out. It was from behind, so it was a shocker of a challenge, wasn't it? On his old firm debut, of course, and as you say, it lasted just 21 minutes. He goes off kissing the badge, though, which I found <laughs> immensely amusing. I always enjoy that when you when you do that. Of course, Nacho Novo famously did it after being sent off at Petardry. But I always have a particular fondness for when a hun makes an absolute arse of himself, but goes on kissing, goes off rather kissing the badge. Always, always great a sight. Do you know who's an absolute pest in this first half? Who's making an absolute pest of himself? Andrei Kinchelskis. Yeah. Who, not a huge amount of end product from him, of course, because Rangers are down at this point, but he must be an absolute nightmare to play against. He's just, he's all constant awkward movement and just bursts of speed down the wing. He must have been, yeah, a, really, obviously been a terrific player up to this point, played for Man United famously through their success in the 90s, but he must be an absolute nightmare to come up against. One of those kind of old-fashioned wingers who's basically just get the head down and just take take the fullback on every single time, making an absolute nuisance of himself. Another guy that was an absolute nuisance to Celtic through the years previous to this game was George Alberts. The hammer, he'd scored goals against Celtic. He was a, a good player, but horrible at being an opponent. And this is where he comes into it. Johan Malby just goes right through him and takes him out. Let him know, know he was there. And George Alberts, he was pretty quiet for the rest of the game. But when you first seen that with Celtic, and looking at the pictures as well, or the, the, the footage of this, He's dashing back then, he's dashing now, but he looks so young back then, the Albie man. <laughs> See, when you mentioned that, when he body-checked Alberts, and he, he's booked after that as well, and it, there's a great run from Van Bronckhorst in that as well. The The reason I would mention that is because Alberts had scored an absolute stunner against Celtic a couple yeah. of seasons ago from almost exactly the same position. You know, There's a famous one where he, he takes that big like 20 yard run up and just cuts yeah. right across the ball and it smashes it into the bottom corner against Stuart Kerr I think it was this is almost exactly the same position in the pitch so I'm I'm thinking to myself like, oh god it just put me in mind of that famous goal but he just runs up and scud this one straight at the wall thankfully Rangers really had difficulty in this game keeping up with Celtic's passing and movement I was watching it back and I said to you guys off here there was a lot of Celtic passing into space oh, and I just wonder if this is and none of this into feet and I just wonder if that was something that they'd maybe come up with to try and beat Rangers shape in contra- contrast to the way that Rangers were playing as the game approached half time there was made mention of a famous face in the crowd Alan Shearer and Paul oh, Deglace was there as well yeah. but Alan Shearer was in the crowd this was about the time Celtic were linked with Alan Shearer that's right so um, was 18 million we, or something like that yeah <laughs> we were. We must have been linked with Alan Shearer on more than one occasion but this was this was, was Alan Shearer back in the day yeah, apparently oh this came would be the, after his 15 million world yeah. transfer yeah. record win so, so he, one of the, we were linked with the most expensive player in the world an 18 million pound that was <laughs> I think looking back I think Kenny Deglace had some sort of ideas of taking over the club or something and this was like a carrot he was dangling in front of people saying if I buy this club I'll bring Alan Shearer with me the takeover consortium with Jim Kerr wasn't it he was he would form a consortium with Simple Minds uh, 
Velvet-voiced Simple Minds frontman Jim Kerr, who was a, a massive Tim as well, uh, and they were fronting up a consortium to try and take over the club, which never came to anything, of course, but it must have been round about then, yeah. So Celtic went to half-time 1-0 up, and you know we were on top for the majority of the game, playing some really good stuff, but the first half wasn't really where the game came to life. The second half, this game absolutely exploded, didn't it, Stephen? Yeah, absolutely. And it only takes four minutes, I think it is, into the second half. And, and Lubo Maravchik has doubled his tally for the game and, and doubled the lead. It was the second goal, though, started by some defensive intervention and distribution from Alan Stubbs. Mm, so he'd, he had broken up the play again. Yeah, he had broken up the play and you know, popped the ball out to, to Tom Boyd on this occasion. So, it, as I said earlier, it's a, an enjoyable performance from Alan Stubbs. He, he's maybe... He's not the, the most glamorous of names who have played for Celtic in the last 20, 30 years, but he was a big, sturdy defender. And he, he could play a bit as well, Alan Stubbs. Oh, so that was, that was the, the key part of him and the and Reaper's partnership previously. So enjoyable to go back and watch him. But this is the second goal he's involved with. And for resets, cleared by Perini. It's well won by Alan Stubbs. Top boy is on side. So far, match is turning into an unbelievable dream for Luba Moravchik. Picked out by Boyd, and how good was that header? It's pretty clear, Melly, that Rangers really didn't know how to deal with Luba Moravchik at all. Because Tom Boyd, as Stephen says, played through balance stubs. Tom Boyd's running down the wing. He's got time to stop and look up, and who does he spot? He's got Luba completely unmarked in the centre of the box. He's managed to carve out a wonderful bit of space for himself, and it was a, it was a brilliant header. No, oh, the ball in is absolutely smashing as well. Normally, Spot on, pin perfect. Oh, yeah. Celtic at this time, Jackie McNamara was the main right back. He was another guy out injured, but Tom Boyd, he could play left back, centre back, right back. He was, he was a great player back then, but Stubbs brilliant out to Boyd and it's this sort of chip cross and there's Lubo just on the penalty spot, leaps up and heads at home from like, that's some header to get that power jet and direction generated from the the penalty spot but it's a perfect cross perfect header and Celtic Park just goes absolutely mental like, Rangers went in at half time and even after the Wilson sending off in at half time they didn't make any subs I think they sort of switched to a back back three or they maybe started with a back three but they just took one of the strikers strikers to drop deeper and they did all right in the first half but in the second half there's so much space for Celtic and we see it here when we can get the ball out quickly wide because there's so much space down there and Celtic do the damage with that cross from Boyd and the header is amazing but the place goes absolutely mental because at this point we're still not used to Celtic beating Rangers on a regular basis Probably about time for Henrik to turn up eh? I certain Henrik Larson gets himself involved in the score sheet about time too as well it's, he's not going to let the, the headlines be grabbed by this diminutive Slovak taking all the credit here so he, he gets in on the scoring as well a, a really nice goal this as well from Henrik he's, it's oh, a lovely just wee, wee delicate clip over the advancing Niemi after being sent through by Simon Donnelly who, who'd spotted his movement he just Larson just takes one touch past Colin Henry, Braveheart, the former or the probably current Scotland captain, actually, and another to finish it. Colin Henry always struck me as a, a fairly 
ridiculous man. I don't, I don't know about you guys. He was, he was oh, a kind of sure. well, all those. Oh, what you mean? Don't. What you mean? All those tartan suits, Stephen. You didn't, you, you didn't <laughs> take him seriously. Persistently yeah, the, turning up everywhere. He could be seen in a tartan suit. Yeah, and the, the bleached kind of tartan trues. The, the blonde kind of 70s haircut as well and he's, he's still got it to this day I'm pretty sure yeah. he's one of those guys kind of like Stuart uh, Paul as well who he's, got, he's got 23% of it he's yeah. got 23% <laughs> of that haircut left <laughs> yeah he's, he's one of these guys like Gordon I suppose Gordon Strachan as well Gordon Strachan and Stuart McCall who just cannot let go of their, their kind of playing heyday haircuts Colin Henry's no different even though it's rapidly becoming no longer his choice whether he keeps on it or not. I liked it. I liked that he was completely caught off guard by Henrik Larson's run for yeah. this goal, completely outpaced as well. Yeah. And as he's as Henrik Larson's bearing down on Anthony Emi, I mean this finish as well. This is a mm. this is Henrik Larson running at full pelt with Niemi coming out to him and Colin Henry breathing down his neck. So to have the awareness and vision to just lift this over Niemi is you know sensational. We don't need to tell people how good Henrik Larson was, but I liked that. Hey, call, all Colin Henry could do would just have a petty wee push. That's all he could do. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know if you if you if you caught that as as Henry Larson sort of accelerating away from him. Henry just had nothing but just like a, a wee a petulant push at the back, nah. the last ditch attempt to stop Henry Larson because he knew exactly where this ball was going to end up. Pass from Donnelly for Henry Larson. It's number three this time, and Celtic Park is bouncing. Seven minutes into the second half, and a three-goal lead for Celtic. Rangers are stunned. Henrik Larsson scores his 12th goal of the season. The deftest of flicks, putting the ball beyond Antiniemi. The angle pass from Simon Donnelly. Larsson had the pace to get away from Henry, and he had the composure to finish in some style. One-way traffic until this point, but mm. uh-oh. Giovanni Brand Bronkhorst brings the Huns back into it somewhat with a, a really quite nice free kick. Tony Warner, absolutely no chance. But, you know, Celtic are 3-1 up at this point after Van Bronkhorst scores a free kick. Back then, you're thinking, mm, uh-oh, yeah. are they going to creep back into this? Because, as we've, as we've said before, Celtic are brilliant, are playing absolutely tremendously. They're sweeping them aside. But we'd seen that all throughout the 90s. It was, we were no strangers yeah. to dominating a Rangers game only for it not to go our way. And when that goes in, you're thinking, oh, I don't, I don't know about this. Could probably be doing an extra couple of goals. It was just the fact as well that it was straight after Celtic went 3-0 up. They yeah. went down the pitch, got to the edge of the box. And it's again, it's Alan Stubbs who fills Van Bronckhurst. And you're just thinking you are lucky to still be on the pitch. Not because it was a bad foul or anything, but he's already been booked and it's Willie Young as the ref. So you thought this could be his opportunity to even out. So he could have sent him off. Rangers score from the free kick, 3-1, 10v10. And as a Celtic fan back then, you'd have been absolutely terrified. This is only minutes into the second half. This is, The game has mm. just exploded into life here. This is all before the 60th minute and Celtic get their fourth goal here. Henrik Larson again, it's a ball over from the right, out to the left. Phil O'Donnell picks up. Now, Phil O'Donnell was brilliant in this game. A guy who's maybe oh, yeah. a, a wee bit underappreciated just because of his injury record, but he was everywhere in this game. Brilliant, just a guy that, as you've described, is it James Forrest you've described before, Stephen, as a guy that was yardage, picks up the mm. ball and drives with it and can take you right up the park. He was a great player, Phil O'Donnell, and here he uses his left foot, a nice wee left foot cross into the box, and there's Henrik Larson. Now, it's a 
if you imagine Henrik Larson scoring a header, it's probably very similar to this. The ball comes yeah. in from the left-hand side and he heads it back the way it came, just that leap up and uh, just into the net and it's just pandemonium for Celtic. The keeper's rooted to the spot. Again, Tom Boyd taking a healthy run-up at that. Away from Newman. Tom Boyd has time. Underneath it, Andrei Kinchelskis. Didn't get it clear, though. In from Philadelphia. This was uh, Henrik Larsson's seventh goal in four games. Vengloss had got him absolutely firing now, so it was on for Celtic, and that's 4-1. The crowd could sense it as well. So fucking easy. Starts to ring out around the crowd <laughs> as well, which is always an enjoyable listen. Oh, this is so fucking easy. One thing I, one thing that I just wanted to say on this goal, Millie, you're absolutely right. This is the, the typical Henrik Larsson header. This is like yeah. if you could silhouette Larson leaping up for this <laughs> yeah. to header this. This is exactly what it would look like. It was absolutely brilliant. Got got above a crowd of bodies. Got above Vida Reset. I think he was in the mix as well at this point, trying to get in the action. Uh, but no, brilliant from Henrik. So this would be kind of his like Air Jordan, the the, the silhouette yes. in, in yeah. mid flight. Air Larson, if you could, if you could silhouette this one. I was actually going to make that. I was actually going to make that that comparison there, Stephen, as well. But yeah. I thought it'd be a bit too uh, a bit too vague. But yeah, you're absolutely spot on. That's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> Henrik Larson's always good because you can have like you could have two silhouettes of him. You could have this one, dreadlocks, and then there's post dreadlocks. So you could probably have the Seville head, or could yeah. you? And everybody oh, would know I, that. Geez. But as you said, Jamie Vidar Recef was trying to get in on the act, and it, on another day it could have been six or seven. He had two brilliant chances. He had a Lambert a low cross that he couldn't connect with as usual, and there was another cross in that he's fifty p he'd headed wide. So he was another guy that. But that's. 4-1 to Celtic currently, but we'd be taking the piss a bit if Vida Recef scored, wouldn't we? Aye, that would be that would be ultimate party time, the ultimate humiliation if Vida Recep managed to get in, in the action. He couldn't really get his feet in the right order by the time the ball <laughs> came to him and the chance was gone. At, uh, at this point, Celtic made a substitution, the absolutely correct substitution, obviously bringing Mark Burchell on for Lubomir Moravchik. That selection was a mistake and one that, uh, in the words of Derek Johnson, Joseph Venglos will live to regret the decision to play the unknown Slovakian ahead of Mark Burchell in such a vital old firm game. That season was, it wasn't the best, but there was one game that always stands out to Celtic fans. He actually scored the final goal in that game. It was the 5-1 against Rangers. Is that your favourite career goal? Uh, probably. Probably. It's probably the one that gets mentioned most, you know, I, I would say. You know, I think that I scored, uh, at other clubs I scored probably more important goals to my club at the time, you know, but... I think that's the, the goal that people still mention to me, no matter where I am, where, where, where I go. You know, I can be getting on a plane in London and then somebody will say to me, all right, Portugal, how's it going? 5-1, you know, it's kind of something that they, they always, always remember. You know, that's that's one, one great thing about uh, having played for Celtic. And I think probably with me was, you know, because I was kind of the only young player that came through previous to me, I'd say that it was Simon Donnelly, five or six years, I got a lot of press and a lot of attention. So, I still can't go anywhere, which I left 20 years ago. And I still, you know, I still can't go anywhere without people recognising me and wanting to speak to me about Celtic. And believe it or not, folks still say to me, do you play for Celtic? And I'm like, are you crazy? I mean, I left 20 years ago, but it's mental. But that's just, 
that's just that's Celtic fans for you. They're, they're the best in the world. So at that point, Joseph Englos decided to rectify his error of, of playing <laughs> Lubomir Maravchik and, and, and bringing on Mark Burchill, who justified the selection by also getting in on the action, Melly. He did, and Matt Butchell had been playing well recently. He Just before he gets his goal, he had a chance that it, the angle was against him, and instead of crossing it for Henrik Larsson, he tries to shoot, and Larsson is not a happy bunny. You can see that. Remember when Larsson would miss a chance, he'd sort of scalp his hands together in a clap, or he'd scalp his own thigh. He was not happy with Butchell, but he didn't hold it against Matt Butchell. Henrik picks up and drives inside and plays this inch-perfect yeah. pass through two defenders, Perini can't get there, and Butchell lets it run across his body and puts the left-footed finish into the far corner. Some finish for a guy that age, man. It was an absolute peach, but the through ball from Henrik is sensational. There's some room here for Henrik Larson. Tom Boyd is getting up in support of him. Butchell is there as well. Here's Frank Butchell. That's number five. A fairy tale. His first taste of the old firm match and his first goal. It's 5 1. Right on 90 minutes. Henry Larson carved up in the Rangers defence, released the pass at just the right time. Yeah, two things I wanted to pick up from that goal as well. One, at this point, the Rangers defence are terrified by Henry Larson because all of them. All of them are concentrating on what Henrik Larson's trying to do with this ball and nobody's paying attention to Mark Burchill who's made a great wee peeled off run at the back post. But secondly, Stephen, Mark Burchill lets it run across his body and hits it with his left foot under Perini at the far corner, as Melly said, whereas other players would be inclined to take a touch with their left to bring it onto their right and curl it around, but yeah, he just hits yeah. it first time. It's a really, really sharp finish. Very clever, very composed for, as Smelly said, a, a guy so young. It's, it's a very nice finish. Uh, the, the Scottish Mike alone, as he was being branded uh, around <laughs> I was raging when we, I was raging when we sold him. Raging, absolutely raging when yeah. we sold Mark Burchard. He's, an, uh, he's another connection with a guy we mentioned earlier on as well, Robert Prozanetsky. He played with him at oh, Portsmouth. Right. Oh, yeah. There was a, a final laugh for me in this game before the, the final whistle went. And it's something I'd actually misremembered because I remember vividly that someone had hit a pile driver of a shot from distance and that Tony Warner had taken the final piss and uh, he just he bent down and stopped it with his palms just before his feet. It was such a tame effort that he just sort of bent down and palmed it out in front of his feet. I had remembered it as being Alberts, but he'd been subbed off at this point. It was actually Gordon Jury who had come on oh, off the bench. So he hits this absolute hammer from 18 yards and Warner has time to just basically bend over at the waist and palm it <laughs> at his feet it's absolutely hilarious just another thing I want to note before we skip over it as well I quite enjoy having the numbers on the back of the shots oh, oh yeah nice. yeah, I know Hi. should definitely should bring that back <laughs> this was of course the first season that the players had their own squad numbers as well so mm. previously the, the there would be no names in the back of the shots so this was the first season that and just one more thing on the game was We'd only seen Celtic at this point win the league the previous season. This was the first time I got to see the Celtic fans singing championies to the Rangers fans. Now, it would be short-lived and we're miles behind, but it was just something that struck me. I was like, oh, that would have been the first time I'd ever seen that we would have got to shout championies at them. And that was full-time. Celtic 5, Rangers 1, and the stadium announcer, no hanging about, Played U2's The Sweetest Thing A bit of a yeah. tune actually A wee yeah. bit of a tune Tune that one Ringing out at Parkhead 
Yeah, very much of its time. It takes you back to exactly really that does, moment. Man. Hearing hearing you two is the sweetest thing. There's not nothing quite as nineteen ninety eight as that song. But yeah, that that was a nice wee touch as well at the end. Now, before the internet, the newspapers were key. That's that's this is the era we're in. As we said before, if a newspaper wrote that a player was a dud, most people assumed he was a dud. These guys carried opinion that was strong opinion, and they were real opinion makers in the game. And one thing that was always very important. A cornerstone of newspaper reporting at this time, sports reporting, was were two things really. It was the match report after the game, because that's how a lot of people got updated on the game. If they hadn't seen it, they would read the match report and that match report existed yeah. to, to paint a picture of the game. That was really, really important. And also another thing was, and it often got up the nose of players, was the, the player ratings, the out of 10 ratings. Yeah. And after every game, as we do on the Patreon, we... You, the, the journalist would rate players out of 10 everybody knows how it works but often there were stories of players getting so pissed off at these ratings they would phone journalists at their house and all that before my brother right. I can't believe you gave me a phone in that game and I was fucking did you and you gave him a 6 and all this sort of carry on <laughs> um, so how did the players stack and also we should add that quite often in the player ratings a quirk you would find was if Celtic won a game and Rangers won a game and Rangers lost a game you add up all the Celtic player ratings and the total of the Celtic player ratings would often come yeah. to less than the total of the Rangers players despite <laughs> Celtic having the, the best of the game um, yeah. so Rangers just get absolutely mullered 5-1 here at Celtic Park okay what were the player ratings? Well, uh, I've got the player ratings here in the from the News of the World at the time. Now, I can't be accused of promoting the News of the World because it is happily dead. It Just no like longer Rangers. exists. Yeah, Just so like it Rangers, it is yeah. dead. <laughs> yeah, so it's not, the, it's not the only evil entity which is no longer with us, uh, speaking of this, this podcast. So the News of the World put it as this. It was Warner 7, Boyd 8, Mahe 7. Stubbs 8, which I think was harsh because, as I say, I thought Stubbs was great in this. Larson, 10. Nice. 10 out of 10 for Henrik Larson. Phil O'Donnell, 7. Donnelly, 7. Lambert, 8. Maravchik, 9. Reset, 7. And Mialbi, 8. Now, most of the Huns got 4s and 5s, right? But there's a couple of standouts that I wanted to bring to you. Give us 3. <laughs> Give us it a 3. He had an awful afternoon and missed a couple of chances during Rangers' best period of the game. A real stinker. Now, this is the World Cup winner, as we, we said earlier, and he had an absolute shocker. Scott Wilson, two. Nightmare old firm debut as his inexperience led to an early bath. His shocking tackle on Maravjic fully merited first use of the soap. <laughs> Curiously, despite Larson ranking higher than Maravjic in the ratings, they actually gave Maravjic the man of the match. I'm, I'm not really sure how they came to that conclusion when one get a nine and one get a ten, but I'm not going to complain about it. It's funny you, it's funny you should mention that, Stephen, because I've got the, the play ratings from the Express here, and I'm not going to bore the listeners by going through it, each individual play rating, but what I've done is I've handily come up with an average. So the average play rating for the Celtic team who gubbed Rangers 5-1 at Parkhead on this day, absolutely trounced them, was 7. Can you guess the average rating for the Rangers team who got absolutely murdered? 4. No, it was 6. <laughs> so one one point of a difference between a five one victory that is yeah, uh, that is incredible hard to best please sum, best summed up by Anthony Niemi getting awarded a six despite the fact <laughs> that five goals flew in right past them so Amazing. this is you know they still have to keep their customers happy the newspapers oh, at the end of the yeah. day yeah and as I said there the curiosity that Larson got a ten out of ten but Maravchik got uh, the man of the match is, is quite unusual but Alan Stubbs had this to say about Maravchik's performance in his book. That particular old firm game was one of those occasions where the form book was turned on its head. 
Not only did we beat Rangers, we absolutely stuffed them 5-1. Henrik was on fire that day and got a couple of goals, but the real star was one of Joseph's more controversial signings, Lubo Moravchik. I think the press were critical of the signing because Lubo had played for Joseph before, so they thought he was just getting one of his cronies in. He'd been around a bit too, so the journalists wondered if he was getting on a bit. And to look at him, this tiny little guy, you'd never think he had the makings of a top player. Lubo, though, was absolute class. Yes, he'd had a long career. He'd been capped over 80 times for Czechoslovakia and Slovakia, and he'd been one of the stars of the Czech team back at Italia 90, but he was still a fantastic player. Absolutely majestic when he was on song, as he was that day. Lubo was an old-style silky winger. He wasn't one of those wingers who were back and forth up the touchline, not at this stage of his career anyway, but when you gave him the ball, he'd do his stuff. Unlock or unpick defences in front of him with a pass or run. It doesn't matter how old you are as a player. If you've got that vision, it stays with you forever. That old firm match was undoubtedly one of his days. He scored twice and ran the show. It was a real shot in the arm for the team that match. It stopped Rangers going 13 points clear, which would have been pretty much game over by Christmas, and gave Joseph a bit of breathing space from the criticism in the media. The season after this for Celtic, it was sort of Celtic had the odd bad result here and there, but just after like in the new year, Celtic really hit form. That Celtic played some of the best football we'd seen up to that point since to uh, Tommy Burns. It was some some say. Some sensational stuff, especially when Mark Viduka came in at the team. Him and Henrik made a, had a great partnership up front, but Celtic really get hit by injuries this season and it really, really hindered them. Lubo went out injured, so we couldn't get consistency. But in that second half of the season, we seemed to get get going a bit and there was, we beat Motherwell midweek 7-1 up at Fur Park. Celtic were absolutely brilliant. I think we beat Aberdeen 5-1 as well. There were some great results in there, but... The injuries towards the end of the season just absolutely killed Celtic. Lubo was out for a while and it just the season petered out for us and unfortunately there was a game towards the end of the season that we'll not mention that uh, we just the worst of the worst. The worst of the worst. The shame game. And of course didn't mention who they were playing. And there was, of course, the Scottish Cup final. Celtic were really struggling at this point with injuries. As I said, we had Scott Marshall in the team and we were beaten by Rangers 1-0. Rod Wallace scored. So the season season ended for Celtic trophyless. There was some decent football in there. We had good signings like Lubo and Viduka, but it just wasn't a B for Dr. Joe. And he was relieved of his duties and the old cliche moved upstairs into a sort of scouting capacity for Celtic because he actually did have an eye for a player. Yeah. Yeah, that, that post is actually called European Technical Advisor. Hmm. Um, it, it, you know, I think it was one of these ones that was created for him because, as as we touched on at the beginning of the show, Stephen, Fergus McCann had a great deal of respect for Joseph Inglis. And then the, this was a guy who was vastly experienced in football. Well, yeah, Whatever yeah, yeah. you thought of him as a manager, he was vastly experienced football coach. And between the management team, or well, between the, the board of you know, you had Fergus McCann, you had Jock Brown. There wasn't a lot of football experience in and around the club, so maybe there was some merit in retaining him for a couple of... Was it, was it season? Two seasons? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it was a particularly long appointment, that. I don't think it was um, a kind of long-term thing that uh, Fergus McCann had moved him on to, but Fergus McCann obviously thought he was a guy worth keeping around in some role or other, but it, it wasn't to be, uh, kind of a, as I say, a long-term thing. He ended up back in... He ended up in Japan of all places, so he, he was even even well even more well travelled by the time he wrapped up. He, he took charge at uh, Jeff United Ichihara, which was to prove which is to prove to be his final coaching role. And he was seen some years later 
in the coverage of the Celtic Art Media game as well. You know, he was oh, in he was in the yeah. panel or he was the, the part of the coverage talking about when talking about Celtic when they lost five 0 on Slovakian soil. And of course, he took Lubo to Jeff with him. He, that that was a uh, mm, right. he signed Lubo and I've checked for Jeff United, and that was a. Uh, I wonder if he got quite as much abuse. I, I wonder if it was just the cycle started again. <laughs> Who is this guy? A blank check. Uh, I wonder well, if there was I some mean, young. Historically, Japan hasn't always been the most outwardly looking country. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, very very possibly, very very yeah. possibly that <laughs> that might be the case as well. But he, he must have just went. Fucking this again! <laughs> Absolutely sick of it. I mean, he wasn't a guy for hanging around. If you look at look through his career, you know, a couple of years here and there from the likes of sort of the early early eighties, late seventies, it was always just a season or two, and then he would go yeah, somewhere yeah. else. I wonder if Lubo faced the same pattern in Japan as well. I wonder if there was any young Japanese attackers that he held back and and pundits were saying, if only he had, Nakamura. if only, yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe. Uh, do you know what? Uh, there is no way that coming up through football, Nakamura was not aware of Lubomir Maravchik playing in Japan and the quality of player that Lubo was. There's no way. Yeah, that there's, yeah. Their paths might not have crossed. You know what I mean? And I know I'm retconning Shinsuke Nakamura's history here, but I would be amazed if growing up as a young footballer in Japan, seeing the likes of Lubomir Maravchik playing in that league and the, the, the quality and the technique he had, that he did not in any way influence Nakamura. Well, what are they? They're maybe about, probably, yeah. They're about what, 16, 17 years apart in age or something like that. So I'd be, yeah, you're right. I'd be amazed if they wasn't at least, at least aware of him. A very similar type of players as well. Yeah. I, I, yeah. You know what? I've, I've, that's it. That's the new conspiracy theory. That's the new conspiracy theory. But, but that's that's fact now, okay? Because and it's that's been said why, on this podcast. That's why Nakamura took the number 25 jersey. There you are. You heard it here oh, first. Oh, yeah. there you go. <laughs> Mate, if it, Looks like a duck and quacks like a duck. <laughs> that that that's that is all we're going to say here. Lubo Manavchik was obviously a favourite of Doctor Joe, but up until this point, we had seen some good Celtic strikers, or I had in my lifetime, Van Hoydonk Cadet. But the season Doctor Joe got out of Henrik Larsson was unbelievable. Thirty-eight goals in all competitions. Now I think Henrik Larsson hadn't even hit the twenty mark in the previous season when Celtic had won the league. So to go from that, where he was thought of as a decent striker, to this being one of Europe's best and under Dr. Joe, it just shows you what a difference he made to him in bringing in Moravchik and Viduka around him just brought out the best in Henrik. And that wasn't Joseph Venglos's last trip to Scotland. He did briefly appear as a, a technical advisor to Aberdeen in 2004 before he went on to work for the, the European Union in, in, a, in a football capacity there before he eventually retired. So that, so that was probably not far off 40 years in some in various coaching capacities in the game for mm. Dr. Yep. Joe Venglos, which is which is remarkable really when you think about it. Multiple countries, multiple decades covered. I suppose the, the only thing left to say about this is, you know, we've had a lot of laughs on this tonight and you know the the reason we've we've got together to do this is because Dr. Joe has died and it's it's obviously very, very sad news. And I would probably just like to say like, I had a great time going to the games in the nineties back then, and you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed going to, to in his season to see the the players we had and some of the football we played. As Melly said, um, wasn't a particularly successful spell, but it, it was a great a great time for me because of the particular age I was and just getting into going with my pals and and so on. I, I was kind of thinking about this recently because I just that sort of adjacent subject there's a lot of talk these days about what makes a legend and all that kind of thing right there's like we're all deciding oh that guy's no legend that guy's a great and all that and I was kind of thinking like 
people don't really get to decide that. History does that for you because it's all yeah. about the generation you came up in. Because if if I was to speak to maybe like my dad or my uncle about Dr. Joey, be like, oh, he, oh, that was pish. But but meanwhile, because I was a teenager, I thought it was brilliant. And if anyone younger than me, it won't really mean anything to him. And that kind of that kind of works for for anyone for anyone you would like to apply that argument to. So I had I had a great time under Dr. Joe. It's very sad news that he's gone. So thanks for the memories. Hey, in, a, in, a, in a grim time as a Celtic fan, you didn't have much to celebrate. Dr. Joe was the architect of that historic victory. You know that yeah, that yeah. is that's a historic victory against a Rangers team, and he brought he brought Lubomir Maravchik to the club as yeah, well. And absolutely. those are two those are two massive achievements for any Celtic manager. And you know. Maybe it was the wrong appointment at the time, but there's no doubt that Celtic as a club that weren't, weren't really the most organised, weren't the most on the ball, you know, back then. Yeah, and I want to be clear as well that, I've, of course, I'm not in any way calling Dr Joseph Vingloss a Celtic legend, but I'm, I'm merely making the point that just purely down to my particular set of circumstances and my age at the time, it meant a lot to me and I, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So, yeah, that, that was just to clear that up. I've got fond memories of him that when you... Whenever Celtic score and you'll see it when, if you watch the goals back at this, the first goal, Maravchik goal, he just, he's sort of one foot in the dugout, one foot out, and yeah. he's just standing <laughs> yeah. there and he's got the, that, I think he's got a water cooler beside him a lot of the time, he'd, he'd stand about that, but the, the track he wore at that time was an absolute peach, it was like a sort of dark coloured one, but you could also get this lime green sort of, Tracky top with it. It was an absolute cracker. And whenever I think of Dr. Joe, I just picture him in this track suit. And even back then, he still looked like an old guy, but he must have been fairly young compared to obviously what he was when he when he passed away. But just one of those guys that I've got fond memories of him as well, just always came ac- across well and very humble. Even after this game, he wasn't singing and dancing about it. So, And on that, I think that's a good place to wrap up this special episode of 20 Minute Tim. Some fun memories there from Dr. Joe. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast, enjoyed the wheel look back. And do you know what, Stephen? This ending of Dr. Joe's career at Celtic brings us right up to the point where we begin our new years. So if you want to carry on this little, if you want to carry on this timeline of Celtic, you can go back and listen to the first episode of the New Year's. Uh, Dr. Joe's left the club and the first episode of the New Year's begins with the arrival of his successors. And on that, I will say goodbye, Stephen. Goodbye, folks, and thanks for the memories, Dr. Joe. Melly. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.